In his State of the Union address, President Obama announced the Precision Medicine Initiative, a research program designed to look at individual variability in the origins and mechanisms of disease. The initial focus would be on the genomic drivers of cancer. The effort will include a research cohort of at least a million volunteers and will cost $215 million in its first year. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Francis Collins, Director of the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Collins has co-authored a perspective article about the aims of the Precision Medicine Initiative. Dr. Collins, both precision medicine and personalized medicine are terms that have been used in recent years. How would you define precision medicine? Precision medicine is really an effort to capture all of the specifics about an individual's health, from their environmental exposures, their own health behaviors, various aspects of their physiology, their metabolism, as well as genetic information through a variety of different genomic tools, and increasingly the use of various cell phone-based monitors that can also keep track of lots of parameters of what's happening to that individual. The goal being both to work on maintaining wellness by identifying the kinds of inputs that will help people with that goal in mind, but also to do a better job of managing chronic disease and managing treatment for diseases that need it. So it's a big, hairy, audacious goal, as they say. There was an IOM panel that looked at this in 2011, and they came up with the precision medicine term, which they thought was a slightly better way of capturing what we're about than personalized. Frankly, I think the two are fairly interchangeable. Why did the president, along with you at the NIH, decide that this was the right time to launch the program? A whole lot of things are coming together to make this feasible when it really wouldn't have been a few years ago. And the president, a pretty knowledgeable guy, getting the information in front of him about that, became increasingly interested in putting real investment into this space. And He has been personally quite engaged in this planning over the last several months and, of course, in the announcement of the effort, both in the State of the Union and in the East Room on January 30th. What are those things? Well, for one thing, we do have electronic health records now that are existing for a significant number of individuals, which was not the case a few years ago and which should increase the likelihood of being able to follow very large cohorts of individuals. We have patients who are much more proactively interested in participating in research of this sort, especially if they get access to their own data and are able to do that kind of sharing. We have the advances that are coming along in terms of what's called mHealth, the ability to sample lots of information about an individual using cell phone-based technologies. And we have the precipitous drop in costs of genomic analyses where a whole genome sequence, which used to cost hundreds of millions of dollars, is now down to a couple of thousand. Put that all together, and the time is right to make this kind of investment in this large-scale cohort. But it's also the time is right to focus in the early stages of this on cancer, because that's the area where genomics has made the greatest advances so far. And yet, we could scale up our efforts in cancer in terms of identifying the right targeted therapy for each individual, investigating combination therapies, doing a better job of non-invasive monitoring of response. All of those things are part of this, too. You write in your article that the NIH plans to gather extensive biologic and behavioral data on at least a million Americans as part of this program. How will those people be recruited, and how will such massive quantities of data be organized? 
there are already across the United States something like 200 cohort studies that have enrolled or plan to soon enroll more than 10,000 individuals. So there's a lot going on in this area. Some of those are academic institutions. Some are healthcare delivery systems. If we had the opportunity to go back to those participants and invite them to take a role in an even larger study, we could potentially then put together a cohort of a million or more individuals without having to start from scratch, but instead to build upon what's already been done and already invested in. We do want the participants, though, to be at the table in all of the decisions that will be necessary about how to protect their privacy, about how information will be shared back and forth, about how researchers will gain access to the data, and we want that access to be as unfettered as possible. So we have a lot of work to do, some of which is now getting underway in a serious fashion after the original announcement is now out there in public. Yes, you're right, there will be a huge amount of data forthcoming. Imagine all of this electronic health information, medical information, including imaging, as well as genomic information, as well as lots of monitoring of real-time experiences of the participants. So big data is going to be a central part of how this cohort has to be designed and managed. Likewise, for the cancer part, while it may seem a little simpler, it will still be very challenging to make sure that phenotypes and genetic information about the cancers and their response to therapy is managed in an effective way so that we can learn the most possible from the experiences of those individuals who agree to participate. To look at just one of the challenges, how do you envision protecting against the privacy and security risks that come with working with that amount of personal information? Well, that's a serious discussion that's going on right now, and well, it should be. I think there are examples where this has been possible to carry forth, and certainly one that seems potentially promising is that these cohorts, if we are successful in putting them together from existing studies that already have their own databases, we would not then expect all of the data to be moved to one central location, but rather that queries of the data by researchers could be assigned to the various members of this federated collection of databases in order to get information about what's there. And that would therefore limit the likelihood of a centralized database, which might be a particularly attractive target. You could argue that the other way, though, that a centralized database might be in a better position to invest in the very best means of preventing such hacking, and a federated collection might have some vulnerable spots. These are clearly things that we have to work on. But most of the people I know who are involved in this, and that includes very expert folks from Silicon Valley and other places, believe that this is a problem that can be successfully addressed. The administration has said that building public-private partnerships will be one of the objectives of this program. So what role do you expect academic medical centers and industry to play in the program along with NIH? Exactly who the partners will be is not at all established. We expect this will be a competitive process. We do think academic institutions will have a lot to contribute and let's be clear, this is not just about building this monolithic cohort study. It's also an opportunity for creative scientists with lots of new ideas about how to collect and analyze data that's going to be helpful in health and management of disease to get on board here, sort of in the same way with the Genome Project, that the ability to talk about sequencing a genome brought a lot of other technologies and interested people to the table. We hope that will happen here as well. But ultimately, we will need a platform upon which to test out all those efforts, and that's what the large-scale cohort study is going to be all about. 
there will be lots of opportunities, I believe, for industry, especially those that are designing interesting healthcare devices that, for instance, monitor your glucose on a real-time basis by microneedles that are inserted into interstitial space and conduct that kind of activity and transmit the data to your watch or to your cell phone. All of those kinds of technology which are bursting forth right now really need a place to be tested in a very organized, rigorous way to find out whether they improve outcomes. This could be a great platform for that. Finally, a key goal of the initiative is, of course, to develop new diagnostic tools and treatments. So what do you see as the biggest challenges in translating the knowledge that you're going to gain from these mountains of patient data into clinical advances? Well, let's think about some specific examples. In the cancer arena, an area that we hope to see spurred on by this is what's called liquid biopsies where instead of having to get a sample of tumor tissue to find out what's happening after the administration of a therapeutic intervention, one can look at cell-free DNA that's floating around in the plasma and actually with appropriate technology recover the bits and pieces of DNA that are coming from the tumor cells in order to see what's happening quantitatively about their abundance and also whether a resistant mutation is appearing in the cancer that tells you it's time to switch to another drug. That's a very exciting area of technology. This is going to be a good opportunity to expand it. Certainly, in the cohort study, all of these mHealth gadgets are going to be susceptible to that kind of analysis, as will the ability to drive the cost down of DNA sequencing. One of the outcomes I hope will happen in the fairly short term, if you have a million individuals who are being monitored in this way, is to test whether this whole concept of pharmacogenomics does improve outcomes. That is, if For those more than 100 drugs where FDA labels, say, genotypes are predictive of response, if we actually started to do that and the physician knew upon writing the prescription whether this was the right drug at the right dose for this patient and could adjust accordingly, would that improve the results? Most people would guess yes, but we haven't really tested that. The logistics have not made it possible. Now they will. Thank you, Dr. Collins.